Hello again. I thought I'd record another behind the scenes uh, podcast. This would be number two. I just got back from being in Uganda for um, a couple of weeks. Now, um, <laughs> first thing, it was supposed to be a volunteer project, but it really wasn't. It was more of a kind of ecotourism once I got there. But anyway, um, I did. I went because it was an opportunity to see mountain gorillas. And in fact, I did have a couple of... Um, uh, hikes into uh, different parks. There were two different parks that we went to uh, to see the gorillas, and um, one of them was the what is it, Magahinga? I'm terrible at pronouncing these things. A national park, and then we went to um, uh, Bwindi Impenetrable National Park, and then finally we had um, a final trek. Um, to see chimpanzees and that actually just going back through oh that was Queen Elizabeth National Park which was interesting because it was a few days after uh, the Queen had died and um, at the area where you drive into the park so you need to register and have a permit and all that kind of thing there was um, a, a portrait of um, of the Queen with a black edge all around and a, a candle uh, a lit candle in front of it. So that was quite a nice touch, um, speaking as a Brit, as a POM, um, to um, see how uh, Her Majesty was uh, being remembered there. Um, anyway, what I wanted to talk about in this behind the scenes was just talk a little bit about what I found, what I experienced. So first of all, I went to Uganda because, um, well, it was a volunteer project. I had also been looking at seeing the um, gorillas in Rwanda because where the gorillas are, they're down in the southwest of Uganda. And I don't know how your geography is, but Rwanda is basically on that southern border. And then you have the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, to the um, west of them. Now, DCR has had some violence and um, all sorts of problems in recent years. Rwanda has also suffered a little bit, uh, although that wasn't why I went. In the end, I went because I thought I was doing a volunteer project and there was some involvement with local schools and, um, well, we did plant some saplings, but it was very few. It was more of a kind of nod to um, the um, kind of conservation of the um, uh, environment. So a little bit frustrating, personally, that side of it. But it was good to meet a lot of people. I met uh, the regional program manager of the Griller organization, which has people like um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I'm going to get these. For, I, need, I need to check my notes for the, <laughs> the other people who are involved. But there are some quite well-known people who are involved in that um, organization and they're patrons of it. So it does help to um, fund them. And what they're doing is trying to protect the gorillas. Um, they do take steps against poaching. And I recorded another uh, podcast about poaching because I met with an ex-poacher and his son. I'm, I'm not going to say any more than that because um, uh, they, they're reformed and they're, they're sort of back in the community and very active. So that's good. And I don't want to uh, say anything that would affect them in a negative way at all. But I do strongly believe that if we're going to be serious about conservation, we have to look not only at what's going on with the animals uh, themselves, but also what's going on with the people who live around them. Because one of the biggest threats to 
animals, possibly the biggest threat to um, animals and the potential extinction of certain species is man. And we need to understand why we are a threat and do and take steps to remedy that. So it's definitely um, a two pronged um, aspect of conservation. There's looking at the animals directly and their environment, but also looking at what's happening with the local communities who live in those areas, because that tends to be where the biggest threat comes from. Um, I'm going to talk about going to see the gorillas because I definitely underestimated it. Now, bear in mind that I was there in September. So in Uganda, this is the rainy season and it definitely rains. You get some very heavy um, thunderstorms. Uh, at one point, I was in a lodge and we, we were on a kind of a high hill, I would call it, rather than a mountain. But we're up in a sort of mountainous area. So we're already um, up uh, fairly high, I think sort of two to 3,000 metres above sea level. So that is... Um, a height where if you're used to sea level conditions you really need to acclimatize for a few days because otherwise you're out of breath a lot and we were definitely it felt like inside a storm there was one clap of thunder I remember was extremely loud and if you had managed to sleep that far in the night you definitely got woken up so a lot of rain of course that meant that the conditions were very muddy Um, any vegetation was also very slippery And because we're in a mountainous region down there, I mean, they're mountain gorillas, so that kind of gives you a hint about what to expect. It means that hike, it's not really, yeah, it's hiking, but quite difficult hiking because often we were going up quite steep slopes. slopes. They were very slick. And one recommendation, I did it after the first hike because I'd also hurt my back uh, a few weeks before I left and that hadn't recovered. And... um, I'd, on my first hike, see the gorillas, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. So I took a long telephoto, my 100 to 400 mil, which is quite heavy, um, as well as two camera bodies and um, a, sh- a sort of short zoom, wide angle short zoom. And it was the wide angle short that I used most of the time because that worked quite well in low light. We were in forest where we found the gorillas on that occasion. We were fairly level, but it had taken us a few hours to get there with a lot of climbing up steep banks holding on to things we were given a stick when we started the hike and I used that a lot to just give me another point on the ground that I could use with one arm and then my other hand was really there protecting the camera which I'd slung around the sort of front of me so my recommendation there I mean find out what you can about the environment that you're going into but the guides that we had were frankly a bit cagey on each of the three hikes about what to expect and they underplayed it and I would rather they were straight up because that I was asking a lot of questions because I really wanted to know what I needed to take Um, I didn't want to take too much because if they're long hikes taking a lot of weight isn't a good idea and um, obviously carrying water they generally recommended um, about a litre and a half of water so it's one and a half kilos straight off before you do anything else you would need a raincoat because um, or a you know, something waterproof to put on in case you got involved in a downpour, which did happen on one occasion. Um, But the biggest recommendation is to just hire a porter. Now, at the parks I was at this year, you know, this month, it cost 20 US dollars to hire somebody. They would carry things for you, but more importantly, they would help you because they're they were much more sure-footed than I was. And in fact, I would say, to be fair, probably pretty much everyone in our group, even though there were some younger people, they weren't used to hiking in that environment. 
and it's very easy to slip. And in fact, one uh, lady in the group, quite young, um, slipped and broke her wrist. So, you know, the chances of doing yourself an injury were there and they were not insignificant. So having a porter was very helpful because they just grab a hand and, um, you know, make sure you're okay. And even on the first trip, when I was being quite stubborn, (laughs) not a good idea, but I'd really hurt my back. My legs had turned to jelly. So when when we first encountered the gorillas, we'd been hiking for, I think, three hours and climbing, doing a lot of clambering and climbing. So my back was absolutely burning. My knees were like jelly. And then I actually got down to the photography, which was um, getting around this group. And they were eating bamboo, but they were on a level area. So we could maneuver around them a little bit, uh, which we couldn't do on the other encounters because we were seeing them in, on slopes. They were either in the in the heavy undergrowth or in trees and uh, basically the guides were having to cut undergrowth away with machetes so that we had somewhere to stand but often you were standing on a slope on vegetation and sometimes there wasn't much underneath it so you had to be very careful of your footing often you're in a kind of strange position to get a shot so it's quite hard on the body so um, I would definitely recommend that um, if you're planning on doing a gorilla trip make sure you're as fit as you can be and um, if you've got any kind of injury probably think twice about it at the very least get one or maybe even two porters to help you uh, to um, you know get to see them so that's the the hiking part of it um, I think more or less Um, we, we were to be honest it was dangerous in in certain situations it was quite dangerous so I'm not gonna try and put you off but just to be straight up the people selling the trips downplay it but it definitely was dangerous so having um, somebody to look after you is very important and even on the first trip what they do on all of these trips in fact you'll normally find uh, the guide so what they, they, what they'll do they'll actually send out trackers before you go out so they tend to go out early in the morning um, even though you're leaving quite early but the trackers will go out first they'll go back to where they'd seen gorillas the previous day and then track them and then there's, um, you know, radio communication between the trackers and the guide leading the group because you'll be, you know, an hour or two or three behind them. And um, they will help you find the gorillas. So, you know, hopefully by the time you leave the um, the entrance to the park, they've already located the gorillas. And then you go to where they are we were unlucky because the gorillas in our first hike were about as far away as they get from the um the entrance to the reserve so often you just hike for under an hour but we were i think it was the best part of three hours so it was quite a long hike for us what then happens is you have a guide and you also have two people with you who are armed um in our case they had ak-47 so one's at the front one's at the back And the reason for that is that you do occasionally come across buffalo or um, other animals that can be dangerous. So if they don't back off, the idea is to shoot into the air and scare them off. But um, those two guys are responsible for the safety of the group. Now, um, on my first hike coming back, uh, because I ended up at the back of the group, the guy who had the gun (laughs) to to kind of cover us from the rear was actually helping me a bit as well, particularly when I half slid down a bank and managed to just catch myself. But then I was in a rather peculiar yoga position um so anyway that's something that you'll see and that's why those people are there and then the um trackers themselves um take you to the gorillas so in our case we had to leave our walking sticks behind uh 
we had to wear um, a mask because of COVID. And um, then the guys took us up to the gorillas. And they, so what we, the briefing was, if, an, if a gorilla comes up to you, sometimes this might be a silverback or it might be another gorilla, just stand still. So you're standing when you encounter them normally and look at the grass, just study the grass. And that happened to me when a young male came up to me, kind of not a charge, but came up quite fast to me. And I just stood there and then he stopped, didn't do much. And then the guides um, told me to just back away slowly. So you you, you never run. That's the one thing you never do. Um, really with any wildlife, don't run. Um, certainly true with gorillas. So we would then gently back off and uh, make sure that the gorillas were comfortable. Um, now, if you do go on these things, again, something we weren't told, but everyone expects to be tipped. <laughs> and um, probably five US dollars is probably, if you're in a group, it's probably enough for most of these things, but it's good to budget for it. And we weren't told that. So we were, yeah, in a, a bit disorganized. So, um, however you're doing the trip you know do tip guides and and generally five to ten us is is good enough um for because they don't earn much money they they might earn um i think one of somebody was telling us we had dinner with one of the um um guides and i think he was 140 dollars a month was what he the equivalent of what he earned so basically these people are very badly paid by our you know standards of the west so it is good to budget to um give them something um so that was the main thing really and i think that applied to all of the hikes to a greater or less degree so i did three two for gorillas one for chimpanzees chimpanzees they were up in the trees all the time and moving so it was pretty much impossible to get a good shot we also had quite a hard hike to get to them and um we've been told it was kind of like walking into that it absolutely wasn't <laughs> it was um walking through forest it was up and down a lot very very slippery and um yeah quite and, and that last one was very disappointing given the amount of effort that had gone into getting to find the chimpanzees to f get almost no pictures of them at all was pretty much the story for all of us except for one guy in uh, i think it was french um, we met up with another few people because they they um, have normally a limit of eight people, but they're trying to make it a group of eight people when you go on these things. And I think he'd stand hang, hung back by the river because he needed to pee. And uh, chimpanzee came down and had a drink in the river. So he had quite a good experience, but that was sheer luck. And that obviously is, is the way of it with wildlife. You get lucky or you don't. And um, I must say that in, in my life, the things I've done most of the time, I've actually been very lucky. Uh, but every now and then your luck fails. And that was definitely um, part of it for me in Uganda. So what else to say? The, the other, uh, There's a couple of other stories I'll quickly share from that trip. So, that, you know, very much behind the scenes things. Um, so on our final, where we uh, camped near or where we stayed near Queen Elizabeth National Park, it, it was not quite glamping, but it was sort of. So there were these tents. They had covers around them, and they're on a, you know, kind of concrete plinth anyway. And so they're quite nice. You know, it's not roughing it by any means. <clears throat> and the um, the, the tents didn't have their own facilities. So there was a block of um, uh, eight, sh uh, sorry, four showers and two lavatories. They were separate rooms. And then at the end of this block, there were two sinks out in the open. So that's where we would go. Uh, this camp was actually very good. They had 
people out at night. So if you needed to go to the bathroom in, at night, you got out of your tent, you stood near it with your a light on, you know, either a head torch or your phone, and somebody would come over because we did have animals going through um, the park. And in fact, or the the camp area. And in fact, I we found um, a footprint, or, or the other people I was with found the footprint which they initially thought was a lion print. But when I looked at it, it was too small. So so I've seen lion prints and there's a couple of things about them. One is that they're bigger than my hand. When I put my hand on the ground and spread my fingers, a lion paw print is still bigger. These prints were smaller. The other thing was that I noticed at the end of one of the toes, there was um, a kind of circular mark, just a almost a puncture mark in the ground, which looked like it had been made by a claw. So that told me that it, it was unlikely to be a lion, both because of the size and also cats retract their claws when they're walking. Um, the only cat that doesn't is a cheetah because they can't fully retract their claws. Whereas dog type animals, I'll call them those, tend to have their claws out permanently. So you'll tend to see claw marks in their um, tracks. Now, the other clue I had was that, first of all, it had been raining when we arrived. So because this was in sand, it was any tracks prior to that were probably erased you know most likely and then that night later on I'd heard hyenas and um, in fact that's what the track turned out to be from from a hyena but they were clearly walking through our camp and that the morning we were out early to go and do this um, chimpanzee hike actually and the one of the ladies in the group had found a, an elephant right next to the camp and also a hippo so she was really excited uh, but they kind of dragged her away <laughs> to make sure she didn't get hurt by them because they're both potentially very dangerous. Anyway, when we got back at lunchtime, this um, bull elephant was basically walking through our camp, eating the trees. So um, initially it was where we pulled up and there was um, a covered area where people would leave luggage when they were coming and going. And everyone was standing under that as a way of, you know, not upsetting or annoying the elephant. And I'd gone towards the front and I was slightly outside, but only just. And I was pretty sure I was in the clear and I wasn't creating any problem for the elephant because it wasn't in musk. It wasn't, um, often you can see um, male elephants when they're like that, they have um, like um, like a tear, it looks like, but it's actually um, caused by, um, by being in musk and they, they tend to be very aggressive then. And the other time an, an elephant will be aggressive is if it's a mother with a young calf. So... And that, which obviously wasn't the case. So I thought I'd left enough room where I wasn't potentially blocking it either. Anyway, I'm looking at it through my camera, about to take a photograph, when I realised it was trumpeting and waving its, flapping its ears and waving its trunk and heading towards me. So I very quickly just got up from the crouch I was in, turned around, walked to the back, reasonably quickly but not running, of this cover. And that, that was it, you know, it was over. Um, but again, I said earlier... If you're in an encounter with an animal, it it is a good idea in most situations not to run because that will tend to encourage them to charge. But if you don't run, if you stay pretty calm and just try and get out of the way of them, that's generally what you need to do. So that was one story. In fact, later, um, this elephant walked right past my tent. So I was sitting in the chair outside my tent and he he walked right the way past. And, um, uh, and, you know, another person was there and I just sort of, told her to get on the plinth so she was next to the tent so no problems but he the elephant was fine didn't bother us at all and I guess the final story I just wanted to share was um 
<laughs> human <laughs> story. So I mentioned this toilet block and had the sinks at the end. And um, th that same afternoon where we'd gone to the chimpanzees and then the elephant, we had an afternoon off and we'd been having a beer and a chat and all that. It was a really nice afternoon, just chilling. And I thought, well, I'll go and get a, a shave. And um, I'm standing at one of these sinks, um, just more or less finished shaving. Still had some shaving cream on my face. And this old guy um, who worked there, he turned out to be one of the trackers, uh, came up to me to, to or came up to have a shave at the next sink. And he asked me what I was using because he hadn't seen shaving foam before. So I told him what it was and asked him if he'd like to try it. So he said, yeah, and he washed off this soap he'd had on his face. So I sprayed a handful for him. And he's carefully putting it on and asking how long he had to leave it and all this kind of stuff. And then was sort of carefully having a shave with it. And I thought, well, you know, I'm happy to give him the can, but I don't know if he likes it. Anyway, I'd sort of done. I washed off and dropped everything back in my tent and, um, you know, got ready to just go off for dinner. And um, as I walked out of my tent and walked past, he was still there carefully shaving at the, uh, the sink. He had a big mirror there as well. So um, anyway, went to dinner and then the two guys who were, managing our trip they came back they'd seen this guy and they were uh, we were kind of laughing about it and it was sort of funny situation they said oh you really enjoyed it so basically um I, and but he'd actually left he'd gone off to do something else and uh, I left these guys with my can of shaving foam so that they could give it to him when they caught up with him they were going to see him again in a few days so it's just a funny little story um just one of those little things but it was quite nice it was quite unusual and it was um just a one of the nice memories from from doing that trip so although the focus was the animals and that was what I was trying to do was to get the um these animal pictures I did meet and have great interactions with a lot of the local people and I, I must say when I've been in in Africa I find most people are very very friendly and it was definitely the case in Uganda and I if if anything more so and um even when we were in the the four by four going through, you know, on our way back or on our way to um, treks or whatever hikes or whatever, obviously the, the the kids will often just wave and shout at the 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 um, four wheel drive and at the passengers. But also, I, I would just wave to people as we were going by. And some people it was very funny. I remember an old guy was pushing his bike, and I just waved at him, and suddenly there's a huge smile, and he waved back, and he looked like he'd had quite a tough day. So you just don't know. You don't know what's going on in people's lives. You don't know what sort of day they've had. You don't know what difference it would make when a stranger just smiles and waves at you. So it can make um, a nice difference somebody's day. So anyway, that's um, really this behind-the-scenes video, uh, video podcast. <laughs> um, just some really thoughts and sharing some experience of it. And maybe there's some takeaways there if you're planning a trip or planning to go somewhere like Uganda or anywhere in Africa or elsewhere where some of this may also be relevant to you. So I hope you've enjoyed that and uh, I will speak to you in the next um, podcast. So bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the, um, the platform I use for with my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, 
you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcasts and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now. 